Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This plot to kidnap him was just a horrendous thought to think that John's life could end this way violently on the streets of New York. New York was really a terror city. No one in the world would want to think of John's life ending that way for a young boy who saluted the coffin of his assassinated father, who stood with his sister Caroline so bravely with their mother Jackie at their father's funeral. Welcome to episode 8 of Fatal Voyage, The Death of JFK Jr. with me, former homicide detective Colin McLaren. In the last episode, we closed in on the details of a little-known yet stunning plot by the head of a Colombian drug cartel to kidnap John Jr. back in 1995-96. This plot was from an obsessed Colombian queen pin who had planned to snatch JFK Jr. off the streets of New York. This 50-something woman, who was the head of one of Colombia's notorious drug cartel, her plan, apparently, was to snatch John from a New York City street as he rode his bicycle. Now I want to find out more about the woman behind this audacious plan. Who exactly was she? What was her connection to the Kennedys? Just a few years after the attempted kidnapping of John Jr. was foiled, he met his death in what appeared to be a tragic plane crash. Could these two events be related? One of the things that's just astonishing to me, who the hell would want to kill John Kennedy Jr.? He was such a sweet guy. He was just an incredibly sweet guy. And he had no political aspirations. James Robertson and I are still immersed in the once long-buried, heavily redacted FBI files we've obtained under the Freedom of Information legislation. Now that we have a solid lead on the kidnappers and potential murder plot, the story is starting to make sense. Well, I think we can even go a step further. There seems to be some woman involved in running this cartel, which I've never heard of this before. You know, normally it's a Pablo Escobar type. This is really unusual. Who was it? So she's known as the godmother of cocaine. Murderous, bloodthirsty. I think she had hits out on on the likes of El Chapo and Escobar. She was that level. Yeah. Her name's Griselda Blanco. She was a monster. And do you know what? She fits the MO. There was an incident where an 11-year-old 
in Colombia was kidnapped, a small boy in a wealthy neighborhood, and she demanded the ransom. When that ransom was not paid, she shot the child in the head. Wow. So we now have the connection from Colombia, Miami, the drug cartel, and the whistleblower. She's also a female, which matches yep. the document you were discussing yep. uh, last night. And, and she's got a history of kidnapping and ransom. And she's supposed to have shot and killed up to 100 people. I mean, this is really something off the wall. We're being helped by former Miami homicide cop and now chief of police at West Miami PD, Nelson Andrew. He was part of the original investigation years ago and gives us vital information on the background of Griselda Blanco. Griselda Blanco was a character. I mean, she had several nicknames. She was known as the Black Widow, and she was just the queen of cocaine in South Florida for a decade. Griselda Blanco, to me, was probably the most ruthless female criminal that this country's ever seen. She was a woman in a male-dominated business, so she had to be tougher than all of the men that were involved in this. Otherwise, they would either kill her or just push her out of the way. And that's the reason that she kept uh, ordering people uh, killed uh, to maintain that status. Former National Enquirer editor Barry Levine also remembers hearing of a plot and of Griselda Blanco being the woman behind it. The woman who wanted to kidnap him and in fact make JFK Jr. her sex slave was Griselda Blanco, who spun an evil web as dark as death itself. And as I said, this is a woman who rose from the gutters of Medellin, Colombia, to become cunning, ruthless queen of a billion-dollar cocaine empire, a high priestess in a male-dominated world. And her interest, of course, as I said, was JFK Jr.'s handsome looks. She was known to the DEA as the Black Widow, killed her husband and killed her lovers, but obviously had a fixation and a fascination on young John F. Kennedy Jr. Think of million dollar drug barons, and most people would think Pablo Escobar or even El Chapo. But few outside law enforcement have heard of Griselda Blanco an equal force in the cocaine world. Reporter Andy Tillett did some digging into her history and what he had to tell us was astonishing. Her story is almost unbelievable. It's like something from a movie, only more extreme even than something like Scarface. Technically speaking, you could say she's the most successful self-made woman in history, but she's also almost certainly the most feared, ruthless female killer in history as well. As Andy explains, Griselda's origins were humble, to say the least, and she developed a taste for kidnapping from an early age. Griselda Blanco was born in a shantytown in Colombia in 1943 and brought up in the ghettos of Medellin. It did not take long for her to claim her first victim. By the age of 11, she was already heading up a gang of street kids, and one day they snuck into one of the city's more affluent areas and kidnapped a 10-year-old boy from a wealthy family the plan being that they would return him in exchange for a ransom. However, the boy's parents, assuming that it was a prank, refused to come up with the cash. So what does 11-year-old Griselda do? 
she gets a gun, she points it at the boy's head and shoots him right between the eyes. Right from the very start, when she was 11, she was utterly cold and utterly ruthless. That same ruthlessness was to see her dispatch her first husband a decade or so later. Griselda's first husband was Carlos Trujillo, who she met when she was 13 and married shortly after. He was a hustler and a people smuggler who forged immigration documents to import illegal immigrants into the US. It's not clear exactly why she had him killed. Officially, it was a business dispute. But either way, after 10 years or so, he was dead and she married a man called Alberto Bravo. Now, Alberto was a step up from Carlos Trujillo. He didn't move people, he moved cocaine. And pretty successfully too. When they met, he'd saved up $26,000, which for a kid from the ghettos of Medellin was a fortune. And this is where Griselda's ambition really kicks in. She doesn't want to be rich by Medellin standards, she wants to be rich by American standards. And so she and Bravo take their cocaine business to New York. They get a place in Queens together, and using Bravo's drug contacts and what she's learned from Trujillo about smuggling, they start flying in increasing amounts of coke to New York. It started off small, with couriers hiding small amounts in suitcases, which had been specially adapted by Griselda. But within a few years, she had her own pilots coming direct from Colombia, flooding the city with huge amounts of cocaine. By the mid-70s, she and Bravo were making millions every month. True crime, mysteries, Trying to get to the heart of stories that have more questions than answers is my passion. I feel compelled. It's like moving the pieces of a puzzle together. With each connection, I see more of the bigger picture. That's why I like to play Best Fiends. Best Fiends is an exciting puzzle that challenges your brain while not being too difficult. Perfect for any kind of downtime, Best Fiends lets you collect adorable characters as the story advances from level to level and you don't need an internet connection to play. Plus, they're always putting out new themed challenges, so the game is never boring. I find myself playing Best Fiends whenever I have downtime. With over 100 million downloads, I'm clearly not the only one who's obsessed. As more of my family and friends have started playing, we've gotten into some pretty friendly competitions surrounding our progress in the game, and I'm determined to come out on top. I love that it's a fun reason to keep our text chains going while we're social distancing too. Start playing today. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips. And you can even play online. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Finally, in April 1975, a joint investigation by the NYPD and the DEA named Operation Banshee moved in on Griselda's business. She and 30 of her mobsters were indicted on federal drug charges. At the time, it was the biggest cocaine case in American history. But when the grand jury handed down the indictment, neither Griselda nor Bravo were anywhere to be found. They disappeared, and the very first thing Griselda did when reunited with her husband in Colombia was to kill him. She literally drove straight from the airport to a nightclub where he was, pulled out a pistol in the parking lot, and 
fired point blank. In the ensuing gun battle, six bodyguards were also killed and Griselda herself suffered a minor bullet wound to her stomach. And now, as undisputed boss of her own cartel, she moved back to the States and set up business in Miami. It's in Miami that Griselda Blanco really becomes a huge player. Almost the first thing she does is embark on a killing spree of the city's rival drug dealers, eliminating the competition and establishing herself as the top dog. She took no prisoners. When ordering a hit, she would tell her gunman to not only take out the target, but everyone else in the vicinity, including women and children. As Nelson Andrew explains, one of Griselda Blanco's specialties was the use of motorbike drive-by executions, a killing technique she not only invented, but took to terrifying heights. They would drive by their target, execute the person, and then drive away, and the motorcycle was able to weave in and out of traffic, so they were never caught. Our estimates are she was responsible for anywhere from 50 or 100 homicide murders throughout the world, primarily in in South Florida. Not so much that she was the actual trigger person or the trigger man. She probably killed herself, you know, maybe a handful of people, but she had a a group of hitmen that uh, were at her beck and whim there, and whoever needed to be killed, all she had to do was give the order, and and they would hunt that person down or the, the... several people in the group down and uh, and just get rid of them. If she owed you money and she didn't want to pay you, she'd kill you. And if you owed her money and you couldn't or didn't want to pay her, she'd kill you too. So it was a win-win for her to get rid of the, uh, the people in her way. She was very ruthless, had no care in the world for killing someone. As a matter of fact, when they shot Johnny Castro, the four-year-old boy, they were intending to kill her father. And when they went back and told her and they said, we missed uh, Jesus, but we accidentally shot the son, she said, well, that's even better because he'll suffer more at the death of his son than if we would have actually killed him. Her business model may well have been based on blood, drugs and terror, but it also made Griselda very wealthy. Here's Nelson Andrew and Andy Tillett. Griselda's reign began in uh, the mid to late 1970s and continued on until probably close to 1990, which is about a decade. And it was international, primarily since Miami was the, the cocaine capital of the world. Her home base was here in South Florida, but obviously she had the contact. She was originally from Columbia, so that's where she had all the, the drug contact. And then from there, she would distribute it uh, all over the country, New York, California, everywhere, wherever there was a demand for it, which in the 1980s was everywhere in in the United States. That's why uh, her business flourished. She was making insane amounts of money. From Miami, she developed a distribution network across the whole country, employing thousands of suppliers and dealers, as well as mercenaries, security, hitmen, and so on. At her peak, it's been estimated she was raking in somewhere around $80 million a month. I don't think anybody knows the exact figure of how much money Griselda was making or how much cocaine she was bringing in, but it would be a good estimate to say that it was a billion-dollar empire throughout that decade, without a doubt. She was the number one importer and distributor of cocaine into the United States during those years. So... As everyone knows, at this time, Pablo Escobar was the top man in Colombia. 
but Griselda Blanco was indisputably running Miami. And of course, they were both part of the Medellin cartel, so they were effectively business partners. It's rumored that Escobar may have even been one of her lovers around the time she had her third husband, Dario Sepulveda, killed in the 1980s. There is no doubt in our investigations that Griselda and Pablo Escobar were uh, involved sometimes together, sometimes as rivals. Again, it was this is a cutthroat business, and there's no doubt that they were together at one time. Possibly even uh, El Chapo, even though he came in much later, there's a good possibility that they were involved as well. But in 1985, the party came to an abrupt end for Griselda Blanco. In a daring raid on a hideout in Irvine, California, DEA agents made an arrest and she was imprisoned on drug charges, while agents continued to work on further murder charges that would see her jailed for the rest of her life. And that's when our informer, Charles Cosby, came into the picture. As we discovered last time, the two became lovers while she was incarcerated in Dublin, near Oakland, California. What is still unclear is why Cosby would rat out her plan to kidnap JFK Jr. and why she hatched that plan in the first place. James Robinson and I keep digging. But here's the thing, she's in prison. Hmm. So... Why is she doing this? Is she trying to buy her way out by kidnapping yeah. Junior? Mm. Well, see, she also figures into plan A and plan B. We know there's two plans coming out of this informer's mouth. He says, I can do a deal with you, if Mr FBI. I can tell you one plan. I can tell you another plan. Get me out of jail. Plan one is about the cartel in South America, and there's a mention of a woman. That's got to be her. Plan two is about this kidnapping plot on JFK Jr. But uh, interestingly, plan two, this kidnapping plot is being driven by a woman who's currently in jail wanting to lessen her sentence. So she seems to be plan A and B. This is the smoking gun. It's absolutely confirmed that the informer is a male and there seems to be this grand plan has been hatched by a female. So I've I've got no doubt about that at all, but I think you've got something a little bit better Interestingly, it's so important, this file, that it's been sealed. The investigation and all the names within it, the file's been sealed. And there's a direction on it that anyone inquiring about these people has to come back to the the head of the FBI. So this is a, a really important investigation. And it confirms how important it is by, I guess if there's one that redacted form here, it's a Federal Bureau of Investigation, 1996. And if you read between the redactions and most of the words are still there, it says such and such was questioned regarding knowledge of a plot to kidnap a prominent individual. Such and such stated he or she had no knowledge of such a plan. Then if you read it on, it says such and such said that they had developed information discussing a plan to kidnap John Kennedy Jr. There's no doubt about that. That's not redacted. And that such and such became very defensive, then said that this is not true and terminated the interview. That means it's on, or was once on. It also means that it was probably just a field interview, James. It wasn't a formal interview. Sounds like it was out in the door knocks or you know, out in the street or something like that. Otherwise, they would have stated there that it was a formal interview with caution and all sorts of procedural stuff. Is it also probable that maybe 
this detective or the agent at the doorstep turned this potential suspect into a source. Absolutely. And of course, the, the, the file, that explains why the file gets so thick. It's, it's a very, very big file. And of course, the redactions are heavy here also. Um, so what I've got in front of me here is a, is a grand jury subpoena issued by the Southern District of New York. And now we're talking September 28, 1995. Now, looking at the news reports around this time, and specifically one person of interest which stands out to me is Griselda Blanco. She was the, the godmother of cocaine. She was a bloodthirsty mobster. And she ticks all of these boxes. She was the Miami cocaine queen pin. <laughs> she was her own Scarface. She was feared around the world. Drug dealers um, respected her because if they didn't, they'd be dead. Um, mm -hmm. That includes El Chapo. That includes the big hitters in Medellin. But there's also stuff in amongst what you've found that she's doing time. She's actually in prison. So all of this planning, she's doing inside prison. That's right. And also looking at her her path here, it goes from Colombia to Miami, and then she was jailed in Dubin, California. Um, and she has federal ties back to New York. So if you're looking at this on a map, she has been present or ran her operation in every single city that is linked to the FBI investigation into this kidnap attempt. Yeah, it's, it's got to be her. It Seriously. Has to be. It has be. to be. Well done. As Nelson Andrew and Andy Tillett explain, Griselda's plan was about as basic as it gets. Kidnap someone important for personal gain. But for Charles Cosby, it appears to be a step too far, a risk too great, even for his lover, the Black Widow. Obviously, like uh, most prisoners, she did not like to be in jail, didn't like the confinement. They were hatching a plan between her and her new lover in California to kidnap somebody very prominent and hold that person ransom in exchange for her release and return to Colombia. And that person was John F. Kennedy Jr. They started to put the plans together, but it never materialized. But they did definitely discuss that as an exchange for her release. The real question for me is what turned Cosby from her lover to an FBI informant? Was it some kind of patriotic loyalty to the Kennedy name? Or was it simply self-preservation? He had made a lot of money thanks to his association with Griselda Blanco. Kidnapping JFK Jr. would effectively mean starting a war with every law enforcement agency in America. And what exactly would he get out of that deal? Either way, thanks to Cosby coming forward with his information, the plot was foiled and John Jr., at least for the time being, remained unharmed. Meanwhile, the charges against Griselda Blanco were growing. In July 1995, she was indicted for three murders. And Cosby, as the now ex-lover turned informer, was subpoenaed as the witness for the prosecution. As Nelson Andrew explains, what happened next was another extraordinary twist in Griselda Blanco's tale. Mr. Cosby was brought to Miami by the prosecutor's office here in Dade County and he was set to testify in the trial. That trial of Griselda went uh, really sour when our star witness, Jorge Ayala Riverita, started having romantic relationships over the phone 
with the prosecutor's secretary. So that's why the state attorney's office was forced to enter into a plea negotiation where Griselda pled guilty to the murders and was sentenced to the concurrent time she had left in her federal sentence. So once she was completed with her federal sentence, the state sentence was also concluded and she got out. In 2004, five years after John Jr.'s death, Griselda Blanco was released from prison and deported to Medellin, Colombia. Once there, she seemed to just simply disappear. Griselda, we were surprised. She was deported at the end of her sentence. We had learned, uh, heard rumors that she had gone originally to Argentina. Uh, Again, she still had, we believe, vast amounts of money stashed and properties all over the world. So when she was deported, she went somewhere. We think, again, like I said, Argentina. Griselda Blanco, who for years had lived a life of unimaginable wealth, power and notoriety, had gone completely off-grid. For the next three years, there was only one reported sighting of the cocaine godmother, a photo taken at Bogota Airport in May 2007. The former queen pin was without makeup or designer clothes, looking very much like an ordinary grandmother. And it would be another five years before she surfaced again for the very last time. Here's Nelson Andrew. We were surprised that she had lived as long as she did. But then she ended up going to Colombia. Allegedly, she found religion. And she was at a meat market in Colombia. And two men came up in a motorcycle. And she was gunned down and killed. And ironically, the motorcycle hitmen were Griselda's creation. So you live by the sword and you die by the sword. She died uh, at something that she had invented with the motorcycle uh, assassins. And what of Charles Cosby, the other central figure in this kidnap conspiracy against JFK Jr.? He too appears to have vanished. But as far as Mr. Cosby, I don't know what happened after that. He seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. He was always involved in drug activities, so I suspect that he probably still is, if he's still alive. The redacted FBI files finally led us to the answers behind the riddle of the kidnapping plot against John Jr. But they've left us with riddles in their place. Was Griselda ever interviewed over the kidnapping attempt? After the murder case against her collapsed, why wasn't she charged with John Jr.'s kidnapping plot? Was a deal done? Were charges dropped in exchange for her agreeing to be extradited without a fight? It seems highly likely. And what kind of deal did Charles Cosby cut with the feds? And just how much did the Kennedy family know of all of this? James and I were left scratching our heads. And Cosby, this Cosby guy, no one seems to know where he is. The detective was very clear. He just disappeared off the face of the earth. What does that mean? So there, there are so many different scenarios here. There's one, he could have gone into hiding himself. He may have fled. We know that Blanco herself fled to Colombia at one point. He may be in witness protection or he may be fish food. That's got to be sorted out. So I think, what do we do? The, the FBI in New York were driving this. They were certainly pushing it. Let's get on to the FBI and see if there's someone still around, still not retired. 
Yeah, I mean, we did speak to the one uh, former head of the FBI in New York who, who had no recollection of this. So we still got to chase down some more names. We have to figure out who was involved, who knew about this operation. And there's a question that is still lingering for me here is this surveillance and her influence, if she is someone who can make $1 billion of cocaine smuggling, is there an inside job? Was there someone on the inside who knew Junior involved in the Kennedys or involved at the highest level of law enforcement at the FBI who was assisting Blanco, who has this fortune and influence and is no stranger to blackmail, bribery and murder to control someone on the inside to facilitate this to happen? It just seems so random. We can see it happening. It's, it's possible because John Jr., had no real serious security around him. He just had a security company looking after him because the Secret Service had dropped him. And that's the policy. Once you turn 16 years of age, the son of an ex-president, it's all over. You're on your own at 16. So he, he just had a normal sort of security person, individual, checking on him occasionally. Who knows? That person or that company might be rotten. So we really have to delve into that and check who, who they are and make those inquiries. We also need to get hold of the entire case file now um, for this grand jury regarding the godmother of cocaine because someone will know where Cosby is. Someone will know where her ex-husband is. If any of these people are still alive, they spoke to somebody. There is no way that this story dies with her. Is this yet another Kennedy-related cover-up? Griselda Blanco, the cocaine godmother, was thwarted in her kidnap plan on John Jr. and was never charged. Remarkably, she went on to outlive Jr. by 12 years. Charles Cosby, her lover and business partner, was also never charged and might be still out there somewhere. Meanwhile, it seems Jr. spent the final years of his life pondering what might have been had the Black Widow's elaborate scam come off. And none of this extraordinary story was known until now. Next time on Fatal Voyage, the death of JFK Jr. John knew that Carolyn was going to be the one. Carolyn, of course, was in love with John, but at the same time was so fearful about marrying the Prince of Camelot that she had long discussions with her sisters, her mom, over whether or not she could handle the pressure that would come along with being the wife of JFK Jr. It really tore at her because this was a woman who absolutely loved John, but at the same time knew the dangers that would come along with marrying a Kennedy. The Death of JFK Jr. is hosted by myself, Colin McLaren. It's executively produced by Dylan Howard and Matt Sprouse and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavour Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson and Andy Tillett and the series is written by Dominic Utton. Reporting by Douglas Montero, the series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Adder. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Fatal Voyage the Death of JFK Jr. wherever you get your podcasts.